If you want to turn in your Bibles to page 670, Proverbs 1, verse 20, and then you can have your finger over in page 676. We'll do a few verses in Proverbs chapter 8 also. This is God's Word, starting at verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. The head of the noisy street, she cries out. The entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and will have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and, distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. In verse 6 in chapter 8. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, in knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy Father, what a blessing it is to gather here as your people, to come to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would teach us your truths this morning. Lord, may they not be my words, but your words that penetrates our hearts, that takes hearts of stone, makes them hearts of flesh, that moves us to obey you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes I get the question of, why youth ministry? And why so long? You know, you've been at this for over 20 years, and as a high schooler, I knew what it was like to be a student who was not a Christian, did not know the truth, but also knew what it meant to be a student who was a new Christian, who was discovering the truths and learning what they meant. And then my senior year, I knew what it was to be somebody who was growing in their faith and learning to communicate those truths to other people. And so when I think of the teenagers I get to minister to, that they cover all those categories. And it's a blessing to be able to, to share God's word and share the truths of the scripture. And when I think of Proverbs, you know, it's to the children of Israel to communicate simple truths, basic truths to help them see and understand what it means to know and follow the Lord. And so it's to that book we turn our attention to this morning. 
in the movie The Day After Tomorrow. Sam is a, a teenage guy. He's at a competition in New York City. But there's a worldwide event that's happened, a climate shift, a climate change, and New York City ends up flooding. And then it gets really cold, and so the streets are frozen and flooded and snowy, and he's able to get one call to his dad, who's a climatologist, who, who knows about climate shifts. And his dad warns him and says, stay in that library, do not leave, something bigger is coming, and if you leave, you could die. And so all the people in this library are convinced that there's a better place to go where they can be warm, where they can find other people. And so the adults in the room are saying, let's go, everybody, we're going to leave. And Sam is shouting out and, and pleading and saying, don't leave. If you leave, you're going to die. But the adults in the room are the ones that were hurt. And so everybody but eight or nine people leave. And they all die and perish in the cold because they did not heed Sam's warning. We live in a world where people continue to, to buy into the wisdom of the world. Here's just a few examples of the wisdom that the world tries to give us. The only way to get through life is to laugh your way through it. You either have to laugh or cry. I prefer to laugh. Crying gives me a headache. A fit, healthy body. That is the best fashion statement. He who dies with the most toys wins. The secret of life is to fall seven times and get up eight times. The past has no power over the present moment. I think I've discovered the secret of life. You just hang around long enough until you get used to it. List can go on of the wisdom that the world tries to sell us and, and convince us of. And when we hear these quotes, they sound good, right? Some of them are even quotes we can buy into. And many do even Christians in the church. The problem is that many of these nice quotes, they lead to destruction because it's not godly wisdom. It's a wisdom that has us, man, at the center. It's all about me. And when we buy into worldly, worldly schemes, these, these nice truths, so to speak, what do we show ourselves to be? Well, when you read Proverbs, Fools, simple-minded. Now, Proverbs is a book in the wisdom literature, a book that's largely been written by Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. As king, he had great influence. Now, God had come to Solomon and said, you can have anything, anything you want. Now, most of us would get giddy with that kind of request that whatever I want, I mean, I can have power, riches, influence. And yet, what does Solomon ask for? In 1 Kings 3, he says, I want an understanding mind to govern God's people and to have the ability to discern between good and evil. God grants him that request and then blesses him in so many other ways beyond that. Now, as you come to Proverbs, the sayings are simple. These are pictures from the culture in which the people were living in, but they conveyed important truths, these truths that were being taught to the children of Israel, to even Solomon's own children, and they help us understand the truths of God. These truths that would be beneficial to us 
and to the people he was writing to as they served right where God had placed them, but as they served the Lord with every aspect of their lives. Now, as we come to Proverbs, we do need to keep in mind there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is, I understand facts. I understand how things work together and how they don't work together. But wisdom is taking that knowledge and applying it to real life, applying it to our everyday walks, knowing how to encourage other people, having a heart and mind that can discern the motives of other people to discern what is right, what is evil, what is good, and what is evil. Now, Proverbs is something we are studying in our shepherd groups this year. And so my hope is, through the sermon this morning, through our study of Proverbs, that we are challenged to think about, am I a person who is pursuing wisdom, the wisdom that's from God? Or am I showing myself to be somebody that's living a simple and foolish life? So let's turn to Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 8. In verses 20 to 21 of chapter 1, there's a couple observations in just these first two verses. First, wisdom is called she. Right here in the text, it says she raises her voice. She calls out. She speaks. And then the next step of that is we see not wisdom is personified. It's given a character. It's given these traits that she is speaking to us. You know, we see wisdom, it says she's moving among the people, raising her voice in the markets, crying aloud and out in the noisy streets, speaking at the city gate. Why is it important to to name these different locations of where wisdom is? Because it shows that wisdom is calling where people are, where people are gathered, where there's lots of activity, a busyness of life. I think over the years, it's been awesome to go on many different missions trips. And I remember a couple in particular going to Acapulco, and, and on a day off, they decided, let's go to the marketplace. Well, as you go into the marketplace looking for those little trinkets and treasures, those souvenirs you can bring home, and then you're seeing the food stands, and as you walk down these narrow corridors, all these sellers are stepping out and saying, come on in here and buy this, and they're trying to convince you to to buy their goods. And, And then when you finally get in there, then there's the haggling of, what am I willing to pay for this? Because that sounds a little expensive. And becomes a little overwhelming. It becomes a little loud as all these people are talking and and bantering back and forth. And I remember another trip when we went to Times Square in New York City. If you're claustrophobic, not a place to be. You know, walking out there and it's almost like shoulder to shoulder as you're trying to to navigate streets and and go into shops and, and to see how tight it was. And this is a picture of where wisdom is, raising her voice in the market areas, crying out in the noisy streets. Wisdom is not quiet. It's the opposite of what we want to do many times, right? We want to tuck our head down and just get to our destination. But wisdom doesn't tuck and hide but tries to get to that high position. Maybe it's standing up on that light post and, then, and calling out to the people in the busyness of that street, being where people can see and hear. Wisdom is not meant to be kept quiet. It's not meant to be hidden or stifled. 
That means a truly wise person will speak the words of wisdom that God has given to them, that God has taught them. And we see in the life of Solomon, he didn't keep his wisdom quiet. When you come to 1 Kings 3, we see that event where these two mothers come. They both had a baby. One of the babies died. And so both mothers are coming claiming to be the mother of the one baby that's still alive. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, looks at both women who are saying, it's mine. He says, bring a sword. Let's cut this baby in two. And you both can have half. Well, the one woman says, go for it. She can't have. I, I'm not, if I can't have it, she can't have it too. But the second woman said, no, 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 give it to her. And that's when Solomon knew who the real mother was, the one who wanted the child to stay alive. And so Solomon shared this wisdom. He shared it so much outwardly that people from distant lands wanted to come just to hear what he had to say. We see the Queen of Sheba coming to hear from Solomon. So wisdom is not quiet. It's something we are to share, something we are to cry out, something we are to continually speak uh, to the people God has put in our lives. And so what does that mean for us? Are we sharing the wisdom that God has given to us? Now the emphasis there is God gives it to you. You don't get wisdom on your own. None of us deserves wisdom, but it's God who's the one who gives it. Solomon was not wise until God made him wise. And then he shared that wisdom with other people. Are you sharing it? Sharing it with your children, your grandchildren? Are you sharing it with your friends, your coworkers, family members who don't know Jesus? Are we talking about the wisdom that God has given us and sharing that wisdom? Sadly, many of us tucking our head and walking through life without seeing those opportunities to share what God has given us. Now, as we share that wisdom, it's going to be attractive to people. People are going to ask us questions as we share of our lives. Some questions they may ask. What makes you different from other people? How can you appear so happy when all these horrible things are happening in your life? Why do you give up a Sunday to be in church? Why do you give money to that church? What is the secret to your marriage? What is the secret to your raising children? How do you know what the future holds? And the questions go on. And these are opportunities we now have to continue to share the wisdom that God has given us. Because we are calling out, we are speaking with the people in our lives the wisdom God has impressed upon us and laid on our hearts. So wisdom is in, in Proverbs, it's a picture of no shame. No shame in speaking loudly and proudly these truths that God has given us, these truths that need to be shared. And I think in our lives, how quick are we to, to shout out for our favorite team? I can say it this year, go Yankees! I make the playoffs. They might not go very far, but I can say, go Yankees! Or this is where you, this is audience participation. Or we may say, we are... There we go. That was very excited there, so... 
Some of us go and we cheer our children, grandchildren, or people we know when they play sports, or we applaud and clap as they act in plays and and they do music. Some of us are are not ashamed to proclaim our love for our spouse. I love, I won't say that, she'll embarrass her, so. But we're not ashamed to say, I love, insert name of your spouse. We're not ashamed to do that, right? We cheer and shout and say those things. But how quick are we to stand up and tell people about Jesus? How quickly do we stand up and talk about the one who died for us on the cross, who raised from the dead, so that in him we could have hope, in him we could have peace, in him we could trust in a noisy world, in a world that's competing for our attention. Let that sink in for a moment as we think of our own lives. Wisdom. She speaks to two groups of people. And we see that in the rest of chapter 1. We see that in chapter 8. She speaks to the wise and to the foolish. Verses 24 to 32, we see wisdom's message to the foolish. What did they do with wisdom when it was shared with them? They refused to listen. They did not heed it. They ignored counsel. They would have none of the reproof. See, wisdom was present. Wisdom was making an appeal to them, but they would have none of it. They would have none of that offer of truth, of life, of hope. And so it's kind of a picture here of that person who crosses their arms and says, huh, I know better. How many times have we thought that when you think of your own life, whether we're adults or students here? Sometimes we sit back and go, I don't need my parents to tell me that. I know what to do there. Or maybe some of us think, my boss, they really don't know what they're talking about. We're students here. Teachers are dumb. Why do they always give us this busy work? There are some times in our lives in which we do these things. And even maybe say comments along those lines when it comes to spiritually, when it comes to our walk with Jesus. We hear these truths, and yet we hold them in arm's length. We shake our finger, saying, no, I know better. I'm going to do it my way. And that's the picture here of the foolish, of the simple. What will happen to the foolish and the simple when they reject wisdom's call to come and follow? It says, calamity like a whirlwind. Terror will strike them like a storm. Disaster and anguish will come upon them. They will eat the fruit of their way. They will have a fill of their own devices. That is not a pleasant picture for rejecting wisdom. These results, they're disastrous. And I think of just this week, we've had time to see the pictures of Hurricane Ian and what happened in Florida, South Carolina. When you think of Sanibel Island, and you're seeing like trees uprooted, seeing personal possessions strewn all over, and, and looking at that bridge that goes out to Sanibel Island, and at many places it's just collapsed and lying in the water. Sand everywhere in the streets, the loss of life. I know it's up into the 30s at least. That's a picture of a whirlwind, of a storm. A picture of the person who rejects wisdom, the disaster that leads to anguish 
because of the loss. See, the foolish, the simple, everything is about them, their toils, their labors. And in the end, what happens? They lose everything. And that's the picture of the person who rejects Jesus Christ. So this morning, as I stand here, I call you to repent of your sin. Your sin. If even you just have one sin, which all of us sin every day, but even if you just have one sin, we need to repent of that because just that one sin leads to eternal destruction. And if we continue to live even in that one sin, refuse to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, then disaster is coming upon us. Physically, yes, we're all going to die. But spiritually, in that we will be eternally separated from God. That's what waits for us as we reject wisdom, as we reject Christ. In Matthew 7, we're given a picture of the two houses, the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on the rock. The man who constructed this, the house on the sand, I'm sure it looked great. I'm sure he put some time into putting it there. Not a lot of thought. But when the storms came and beat against that house, it fell with a crash. He lost everything because the foundation was him, was worldly wisdom, was what looks good. But the man who built his house on the rock had the right foundation. And when the storms beat against that house, it withstood because the foundation was good, was strong. The foundation was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see these two pictures, the foolish and the simple, and the wise. And so in the midst of the destruction, the foolish, we see cry out to wisdom for help. Now their cry is not, help, I love you. But their cry is, this is painful, this is awful, help me, because I don't want to deal with this anymore. But it's not because they love wisdom. It's because they hate the suffering they're dealing with because of their choices. So what does wisdom do then when the foolish and the simple cry out? It says she laughs at their calamity. She mocks when terror strikes them. When they call, she will not answer. When they seek, they will not find her. Ouch. That seems pretty harsh. Why would she react that way? Because she knows the attitude of the hearts. The hearts of those foolish and simple people. They hated knowledge. They did not choose to fear the Lord. They would have none of her counsel, and they despised reproof. And so she knows they just want to get rid of the pain. They don't really love wisdom. They are the center. They're getting what comes from buying into the worldly wisdom, into living like the world. And what are we told about their end? We're told the simple are killed by their turning away and the fool is destroyed by their complacency. Their hearts are exposed. What they're truly living for is revealed as they perish without any hope, without truly embracing God, without knowing the peace that comes from knowing and walking with him. This is a graphic picture of the simple, of the foolish, of the person who rejects hope that comes from submitting and embracing Jesus Christ, the one who took on flesh, 
who bore our sins on the cross, who died a humiliating death, and then who rose again from the dead. It's only admitting our sin and believing in him that we can have eternal life. We can have hope past this grave. And yet this truth is rejected by so many. Maybe even some sitting here this morning have rejected this truth because it goes against all conventional wisdom, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom that maybe even some churches out there will teach and preach from their pulpits. Here are some of those things you may hear. Why would you put your faith in a person that was killed as a criminal? Why would you follow a God that you cannot see or touch? We're all basically good. I've heard in other churches that I'm basically good, so I don't really need Jesus. Or maybe this one, God is a God of love, so surely he accepts all people no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what they do, so I can keep being me, and I'll be okay. Foolish and simple. And as we see, judgment for those who reject Jesus Christ. Is this a picture of us this morning? Are you rejecting wisdom? Have you rejected the truth of who you are, a sinner in need of saving? Have you rejected the truth of who Christ is, the only one in whom we can be saved through faith and belief in him? You can turn to him today. I would encourage you to talk to somebody before you leave this morning and say, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Now, wisdom addresses another group of people. He addressed, she addresses the wise, the one who embraces wisdom. She has a message for them, too. What does she say to the wise? We see that in verse 23, uh, 33, and then chapters 8, verses 6 to 11. If you turn at my reproof, you know, when I let you know that you need to repent, when you need to turn away from your sin, then I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If you listen, you will dwell secure and be at ease from the dread of disaster. Now, it's important for us to realize God is the one that does this work. God is the one who helps us see the truth. God is the one who gives us peace. It's not something we can do on our own. On our own, we're blinded. Blinded by our sin. Now, it's also not the promise of a problem-free life, but it's a life in which we get to trust in the Lord, that we can deal with our problems with great hope and peace because we know Jesus. That's the promise to the wise. So why can we take great hope then in this message? Well, especially in chapter 8, he says, it is noble and right. This truth is noble. It's a right truth, a righteous truth. He even says it is truth, absolute truth, not relative. It sees wickedness as an abomination. It says this message, it's not crooked or twisted. It means it's not looking for an angle. It's not looking to trick us or throw us off. But this truth is straight to him who understands, right for those who have found knowledge. And then beyond that, it says this instruction, this knowledge, this wisdom is better than silver, better than gold, better than jewels. Nothing I desire can compare 
to the truths of God. Now, this has a great parallel when you read over in Philippians 4, verses 8 to 9. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there is any excellence, there is anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Wisdom's message to the godly, to the wise, is consistent in the Old Testament and New Testament. We see the promise of peace in both places, in both passages. Wisdom is beautiful. Wisdom is something we are to desire when you think of the gold and the silver. We would desire those riches. Well, that's how we're to desire wisdom. That's how we're to desire the Word of God. And what a beautiful thing to desire. And I think of this picture, especially in Philippians. And I remember one time, you know, getting a, a nice venison steak and my dad's homemade recipe for barbecue sauce. And we took that steak and we marinated it for 24 hours in the barbecue sauce. And it's one of the best steaks, most flavorful steaks I ever ate something you want to share with people and say, here is a piece of meat that's worth eating. Unless you're vegetarian, I'm sorry. <laughs> but are we marinating in the truths of God's word? His straight, his lovely, his commendable word. Are we reading it, studying it, meditating on it? Are we desiring it that much that it would seep through every fiber of our being? If not, what truths are you living according to? What wisdom are you following? What truths are you believing in your own life? Anything other than the hope in the gospel is going to leave us wanting, looking for something more, something different. The picture of Proverbs is clear. There's great hope and promise for those who are trusting in the Lord. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, those who are trusting in the Lord with all their heart, who are not leaning on their own understanding, who are acknowledging God in all their ways, knowing that He alone will make their paths straight. The picture of the person who spurns, turns away, rejects the wisdom of the Lord. It's a bleak picture. So as I wrap up, Sam warned people of the impending doom. He pled with them, and they ignored, and they fled to their own doom. We are to call to warn people. We are to share the wisdom that God has given us and not hide it for ourselves. We are to go out into the busy streets, into the marketplaces, into the, the, the lives of the people that God has put around us, and to speak out those truths. Are you willing to share that truth? Or are you just trying to get through the day by tucking your head down and looking at the ground and pretending you don't see the people around you who need to know Jesus? Those simple, foolish people who are living according to their own truths, the truths of the world. We need to go into our mission field. We need to share this life-changing message of what Christ has done for us. We need to do it boldly. We need to do it knowing that God is the one that changes hearts and lives, not us, but he's called us to go and to speak those truths. 
we have a story to tell, a story of the gospel. We also have a story to tell of God's redemption in our own lives, how he has changed us, and to share what God has done for us. And so be bold, call out, let people know where the real hope needs to be in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you, the opportunity to follow you with our lives, the opportunity to know wisdom. Lord, we can't get wisdom on our own. Lord, that's impossible. But Lord, you make us wise. You teach us your truths. And I pray that you would do that with us here this morning. Lord, for that person that might be sitting here who's living according to the wisdom of the world, their own philosophies, whatever it might be, Lord, that you would soften their heart, that you would open their eyes to the truth, that they would see their need to know and to follow Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you would do work in our hearts. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would make us bold in sharing the wisdom that you've given to us, the things you've taught us, that you've called us to go and share with others. And so be at work changing our hearts here this morning. Lord, as only you can. Lord, we praise you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.